Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to episode 283 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast for Thursday, November 8, 2012. On tonight's show, my guest coming up is Dr. Ryan Newhoffel, I believe, also known as Dr. New on Twitter, D-R-N-E-U. And he practices medicine without the need to work with insurance companies. What? Yes, he will explain this model is called Direct Primary Care, and to get more information during the show here tonight, just go to newcare.net, N-E-U-C-A-R-E.net. And also, if we have time uh, after the interview tonight, I want to share a couple of cool conversations that I had earlier today with some cool people on social media. I know, I'm teasing you. That's right. So you have to stay tuned. Uh, all that and a lot more coming up on Episode 283 of the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, and it starts right now. medicine and social media this is the family medicine rocks podcast i'm your host my name is mike savella family medicine's talk show host i have no idea what that means what is the show about this show is by a family physician for the growing family medicine and primary care community of which now you are a part of just by listening to this show i know very exciting hey do check out my digital library of stuff at FamilyMedicineRocks.com, and uh, shout-out to everyone. Uh, follow me on Twitter, all 10,505 people follow me on Twitter, and uh, also thanks to everybody who liked the Facebook page for this show, all 609 of you. Today is Thursday, uh, November 8, 2012. It is 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5.30 Central, and uh, here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters, Wait for it. Wait for it. It is, uh, feels like 32 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, how's your week been going there, uh, kids? Uh, a very exciting day today here at Family Medicine Rocks World Headquarters. And if we have time at the end of the show, I'd like to share a couple of conversations that I uh, had earlier today. This is my third social media interview uh, today with someone. It's tough being me, I know. Uh, and I also want to give a big shout-out here at the beginning of the show to a third-year medical student from Northwestern who's interested in family medicine, public health, and global health. I know I'm going to uh, slaughter her name. <laughs> uh, uh, and she's on, she reached out to me on Twitter today, uh, uh, Mania Cooperstock. And follow her on Twitter uh, at uh, K-U-P-E-R-S-H-T. She has 400 followers until the show. You'll be getting a lot more now. Congratulations. Has some cool Instagram photos for all of you to check out on the Twitter stream there, especially of downtown Chicago. So uh, check that out. 
my guest on hold coming up in just a few minutes is uh, W. Ryan Newhoffel, D-O-M-P-H. Um, got his D.O. degree at the uh, Kansas, uh, Kansas City University of Medicine and uh, Biosciences, Family Medicine Residency, and Master's in Public Health at the University of Kansas Medical Center. Also has an interest in wilderness medicine, it says on his site, so maybe we'll dive into that a little bit. Uh, he has all of his information at newcare.net, N-E-U-C-A-R-E dot net. And the bio on his site goes as follows. Dr. New grew up in a small village in southeastern Kansas. He was educated mostly in Kansas and recently served as chief resident in family medicine at KU Med in Kansas City. His wife and senior prom date, Andy, have two children that live in Lawrence, Kansas, and I first heard of uh, Dr. New uh, at the uh, Partnership with Patients Summit in Kansas City, and I heard of this uh, via our uh, good friends uh, Regina Holiday and uh, last week's guest on the podcast, Lisa Fields, uh, also known as Practical Wisdom, on Twitter, and that's how I got to hear about Dr. New. So I'm very excited about our conversation coming up. But first, I do want to thank Block Talk Radio for having me be a featured host on this network. Thank you so much for that. I've been a social media hobbyist since 2005. And if you're curious, yes, I am a real doctor. Yes, I am. I am in full-time private practice, meaning I see patients five days a week in the office and in the hospital here in beautiful northeastern Ohio. And uh, it's time to take my break here. And uh, after the break, Dr. New will be here. He'll be you're listening to the Family Medicine Rocks podcast, the unofficial podcast of the Family Medicine Revolution. What is that? Just Google FM Revolution for more details. And also a proud member of the ProMed Network of Podcasts. You can go to ProMedNetwork.com, and we will be right back. Family Medicine's leading voice in social media in my own mind. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. On the line with us uh, is someone I've wanted to talk to for a long time. Uh, Dr. Ryan Newhoffel is on the line. Uh, Dr. New, thank you for uh, the time, sir. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. Uh, so, um, uh, really excited to talk about uh, direct uh, primary care, but uh, as I uh, uh, ask uh, all my family medicine colleagues as they come on the show here, Ryan. Uh, you know, tell me uh, and tell the listeners out there. You know, what, what is cool about your job? Why do you love family medicine? Yeah, that's. I mean, I to me that that question um, is is one of the easiest questions and, and hardest questions that people ask me because um, you know, to me when I was I was going through my training, it always seemed so self-evident, you know, how, how cool, you know, family medicine is and all the, the opportunities it provides. But, you know, to me, I, I think I, I personally like it and, because it, it just lets me do so many different things on a, on a day-to-day basis, and I get to, you know, 
reduced not just within the scientific realm, but um, you know, on a personal level, and um, you know, it just it's just great because I I I tend to be a person who who likes to uh, you know broaden my my horizons and and learn about things, and family medicine is is the way to do that. Uh, and uh, I was looking through some other interviews, and and um, you're you have nobody else in your family in medicine, do you? No, no, I um I I'm as far as I know, I have I have a cousin who's a little older than me that went into nursing. I think about the same time that I went into um, the into um, medical school. But um, yeah, I mean, my, my neither my fa- my family, my parents, grandparents, no one else is in the healthcare field in any in any way, really. I mean, my dad's a butcher, so I mean, he you know cuts up cows and stuff, which I guess he's kind of a surgeon um, on on dead cows. But no, not 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 considered people healthcare. Hmm. Um, so how did you first find yourself going into uh medical school in the first place? Um, you know, when I went to when I went to undergraduates, um, you know, I, I got a track and field scholarship and um, you know, I grew up in a really small town and I, I kinda just wanted to get away and I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, you know, I a lot of people I know my med school classmates claim that, you know, they, they had a stethoscope around their neck when they were, you know, one year old and I, I, I definitely wasn't like that. Um I went to college and I was always kind of a you know a science geek and always liked biology and that kind of thing. Um, so I was majoring in you know biology kind of pre-science stuff. And uh, first year in college I didn't do that great. You know I was more focused on a you know running track and um, playing video games probably more than anything else. And so you know I, I kind of after my first year you know didn't get the best grades and thought you know I got to figure out you know what I'm what I'm doing here. And and so I actually uh, signed up. Um, one of my advisors just said, "Hey, you know, you said you're kind of interested in healthcare," and I said, "Yeah." And so I signed up to do a, you know, a mentoring program through um, the University of Kansas um, Medical School, and they uh, partnered me with a small town doctor um, that actually is pretty close to my hometown. And so I shadowed him most of the summer, um, and just thought what he did was was really awesome, and could you know could see myself someday you know doing that. So that's kind of what got got me started, and then. After that, I was like, okay, you know, now I have to take uh, have to take my grades a bit more serious if I really wanted to get into medical school. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, the the C in calculus wasn't going to cut it. <laughs> <laughs> so that really kind of motivated you to uh, yeah. you know, to, to get your get your act together and things. Yeah, and, uh, well, I was just, you know, it's kind of like when you when you go to college, you know, a lot of people don't have majors or, you know, you don't if you don't have a you know some kind of in goal or, or vision of where you're going to be, and, you know, I, I'm I'm kind of a, a geek and like to read and like to learn, but you know, you know, going through through classes, I, I needed something that was really going to, you know, motivate me to, you know, to actually study hard. And so, you know, once I kind of decided I wanted to go to medical school, I was like, okay, now I have to get all straight A's, and you know, that that kind of worked because <laughs> I had no other choice at that point. That's right. That's right. Now I see that you have a you have a master's in public health as well, which is very cool. I'm very jealous about that. I've been uh, uh, asking myself whether I have the strength uh, to go back uh, and, and do that. But uh, uh, you know, well, why did you pursue that? What 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 interests you, and, and why do you think that the public health is yeah, an important I, thing? When I, uh, family when I finished when I finished medical school, um, I, I didn't get in. Uh, on my first application, I didn't get in. So I was trying to figure out what to you know, what to do. Um, you know, I considered I had a degree in, in biology and a minor in chemistry. And so I was trying to figure out, you know, should I go get a job and then, you know, go back to, uh, you know, go back into to med school later, what I should do. And then, you know, I looked in some different master's programs, uh, you know, MBA programs and MPH programs. And um, so I, I, 
I'm not sure exactly what got me started thinking about NPH, other than just looking at master's programs. But um, you know, it, it's like I said, I'm, I'm I have so many different interests in in science and stuff. So I I thought it would be a good complement, um, you know, to my medical school training. But I I never planned on doing, you know, I never really wanted to be like, you know, some kind of, you know, health department, you know, guru or anything like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and how was uh, how was your residency uh, training uh, experience? Uh, what was it? Everything that you you were looking up or hoping that it would be? Or? Yeah, yeah. I I graduated from uh, University of Kansas uh, in in Kansas City. Um, and Dr. Deb Clements was our uh, I guess when I when I finished there, she was our our um, residency director. And I don't know how many how many of the listeners know who she is, but she's just an amazing lady. Um, and uh, is I don't know if she's right now the the president of of the Kansas AFP Association, but it's something in, in that regard. Um, and um, yeah, I mean she's awesome, and it's a it's a big academic you know medical center. So I mean there's definitely challenges. Um, you know, working in that type of environment um, with so many moving parts and that kind of thing. But it, overall, it was just a really, you know, supportive environment. And then I, half of my clinics were at a, uh, a safety net clinic, so a couple of residents get assigned or volunteer. <laughs> um, <laughs> to be, yeah, <laughs> depends on which which class um, get to go down to a, a safety net clinic. So we do half of our clinic like in a traditional academic medical center, and then half of our clinics are. Uh, you know, at a, at a safety net clinic in urban Kansas City, and so I, I uh, actually wanted to do that. So I, I that was a, just an amazing experience, and kind of totally opposite of you know the academic medical center, um, you know, because it's a small clinic with one physician, and then you know the residents and a couple mid levels helping out. But it was it was great overall, you know, diverse experience. Uh, yeah, I mean, Dr. Deb has been a longtime uh, friend of mine and, and uh, has had such a positive influence on my uh, professional and uh, personal uh, career. And, and, and when I told you that, uh, when I told her that you were coming on the show, she was very, very excited about it and uh, for you to share your story here. And I uh, uh, can't say enough about Dr. Deb out there. So I know she's listening tonight. So uh, shout out to you, Dr. Deb. <laughs> um, so well, my guest on the line here is uh, Dr. New. And uh, you can find out information more about him at uh, New Care. Uh, dot net. Uh, so Ryan, let's kind of dive into this, uh, little, this, this direct primary care uh, model here. Now let's kind of go back a little bit. So when did you first uh, start learning about this? Was this something that you, you started reading about in residency, or yeah, can you I, tell me I a little bit say, about that? Yeah, I mean, I would say pretty early on in, in, in med school, my clinical, you know, my, my third year at med school. Um, I mean, I was I was pretty set on doing primary care from the beginning, even before that. But I, I knew pretty on early on, maybe my third or fourth year at med school, that you know, I, I wanted to do, you know, um, some type of, you know, small primary care practice. Um, and, and so, I, you know, I became really interested in, you know, the, the, the administrative business side of medicine. Um, you know, I was one of those idiots who was, you know, reading medical economics during, you know, surgery rotation. Um, <laughs> probably You're that guy. You're that guy. I can't yeah, that. yeah, I probably explained some of my evaluations um, there. But, um, <laughs> nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've always inter been interested, you know, because I, I kind of had an entrepreneurial spirit, I think, for a long time that I didn't really realize until, you know, sometime in med school. But so I, I kind of knew I wanted to do my own thing. And I, I was interested in, you know, just doing a kind of traditional practice, insurance-based practice, but I, I really wanted to keep it small and something that I can kind of control. Um, and, you know, the more I kind of learned about or, or tried to learn about, you know, the standard, you know, insurance-based 
practice. I mean, it just it was absolutely overwhelming, you know, the amount of of stuff um, that went into to creating that that type of business. And you know, I I knew that that was something I could do, but I I, I realized that I was going to be you know, needing an army of people to um, accomplish that. So I, I think I realized pretty early on that I, I just didn't think that that was was something that that was going to make me me happy. And then you know, some sometime around graduation of med school, I was like, you know, as, as I started residency, I, I was I knew I wanted to do something different, um, and I didn't know in in what form. Um, and I had heard other doctors around the country doing things. I mean, I you know I heard about concierge medicine, and you know that wasn't terribly appealing to me, and um, you know, and heard about a couple clinics on the east and west coast doing different things. So, I mean, at some point, um, pretty early on in residency, probably probably first year intern year, again, I'm that dumb guy who's writing a business plan my intern year. Um, you know, I I just said, you know what, let's let let me just start with a clean slate and and you know come up just on paper like how how would I structure uh, you know a medical practice if it was just me and a group of patients, how, how would I do this, and, and could I make it work? And so I just started crunching numbers, and, you know, I mean, I certainly took inspiration from, from some people that I saw and, and talked to, but, um, you know, it was basically just kind of a blank slate mentality and, and started from that premise. Uh, so, so for people who may not know or people who are curious about this term that we say direct primary care, when, when you talk to people about it, um, how do you describe, you know, what is direct primary care? Well, to me, um, and there's a lot of different variations on the model, but to me it, and it, it basically is a, a patient and a doctor uh, entering into a direct relationship. And so the kind of the operative word is direct. Um, and, and this is kind of hard for, for the general public and even people in healthcare to, to think about um, because, Health insurance and health care have become like synonymous. You know that the words Correct. have kind of have melded together somehow, um, and and people think that there's that they they are you know mutually dependent upon each other. Um, and you know what I what I basically do, and what other people who are doing you know direct models are doing is is just you know there's no need for a middleman. So you know I don't contract. I don't have a single contract with any insurance company. Um, you know, so if patients come to me, it doesn't really matter if they have insurance or not. You know, we have, you know, our, our listed prices up front that people pay, and, um, you know, it's just very upfront. It's, it's, you know, really similar to what, you know, family doctors did before managed care. I mean, it's really not necessarily innovative um, in that sense. I mean, I'm, I'm not old enough to remember that, but, it, you know, before 1975 or 1980, I mean, family docs, you know, country doctors, they didn't they didn't contract with anyone except for their patients, and so that's really what it is, um, and just kind of an updated version of that. Um, and um, so, so you don't, um, um, so you don't accept insurance, or you don't think you need insurance. So, what, so how do patients compensate you for the for the for the services that you give them? Well, so what we do is we basically, um, and again, there's there's variation in this model, but but what I do. Um, is um, I have a membership fee that, that people pay, um, and it's 10 or $20 a month based on their age. And people 29 and under are $10 a month. People 30 and up um, are $20 a month. Um, and that's just an ongoing membership fee, and people get access to me 24-7 you know, by, by cell phone, email. Um, and then we don't charge for every little thing we do. You know, we do some point-of-care testing, um, you know, EKG, stuff that, you know, 
it doesn't really require a lot of goods, you know, disposable goods. You know, we just don't charge for that kind of stuff. Um, and we have, you know, some medical equipment we let people use. So it's just for those little things that we do, um, you know, quick email, quick phone call, you know, it, it's just not a very efficient way to bill for a minute conversation or, you know, something that costs me 50 cents. So the membership fee covers all of that stuff. Um, and then when people come in and see me, regardless of the, you know, medical issue they may have, whether it's a wellness issue, chronic disease management, uh, you know, acute problem, uh, we charge based on blocks of time. So our, the way that we do it is $20 per 15-minute block of time with me. So most people's visits are going to be, you know, $20 or $40. Um, and so really, I mean, if, if you think about it, people, you know, most of the time are going to be paying a very similar, <clears throat> you know, price that what their copay is, except for that's, you know, the 100% cost to me. I mean, there's no, there's no bill later. There's no surprises. It's all, all up front. Um, and so, so it's a membership model, but it's not like a, it's not like a cell phone contract where you sign up for 12 months or 24 months. It's just, it's like no. a monthly type fee. Is that right? No, yeah, yeah. We don't have any type of, of, of commitment. Um, and I, I know there are some other kind of concierge docs that do something like that. I, I don't think there's very many docs out there doing that. Um, but yeah, we don't have any, you know, there's no commitment. I mean, we have you know, people who, for whatever reason, they move or, you know, I, 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 you know, don't, don't, you know, wear the right clothes or whatever, whatever the reason that we, you know, <laughs> they can just cancel their membership at any time. And um, so it's not like a commitment to anything. And that's, I mean, that's how it should be. You know, I mean, I, I'm just one doctor and they're one patient and, you know, it, it I may not, my philosophy about healthcare or whatever may not match with them. So we don't, you know, we don't want to lock people into anything, uh, you know, that they're not happy with. So do, how do you structure your office hours? And do, do people come to your office? Do you do home visits as well? Yeah, how do you do yeah. that? Um, most of, uh, most of the, the visits that we do are, are in my clinic. I have a really small clinic. Um, you know, I have one big room for me and then a couple small rooms in the back. But my office staff is just myself and an RN. That's it. We don't have any other, you know, administrative. We don't really need any other administrative staff. So we, we definitely do more, you know, clerical stuff, Um than, than probably the average doctor or, um, you know, nurse, but it's very simple stuff. I mean, once we kind of get people signed up, it's very, very simple. I mean, people leave, they, you know, they pay 20 or 40 bucks most of the time, you know, maybe a ten, $10 lab fee or something, but um, the office is probably about 1,300 square feet. Um, and, you know, we, right now our standard office hours are about eight to five, um, but I'm available, you know, 24 seven, um, even to do after hours care. So, um, you know, I live, you know, about two miles away from my office. So if someone, you know, in the middle of the night even, uh, you know, needs stitches or, you know, has some kind of urgent issue that's not, you know, quite an ER level thing, but um, so that I can take care of, you know, I can come in and let them in my office, you know, and I have done that, you know, stitches at 2 a.m. Um, but uh, and then it, I also do house calls, you know, to go out to people as well. Um, and then so you can draw some kind of more simple blood work and lab work at your office. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, we have, we have you know, kind of the standard point of care stuff that, um, you know, most, you know, strep tests, urine tests, that kind of thing. Um, and, you know, we try to do as much stuff in-house as we can. Uh, uh, but if we need to, uh, you know, send people out for lab, um, you know, because we don't have like a, a culture counter or a, uh, you know, chem machine or anything like that, we, what we have done is um, we contracted with, with a couple different labs um, and I negotiated, you know, really, really reasonable rates for lab work. Um, and we kind of 
you know, translate that into into our fee um, that we charge people for the lab, and then we send it off to you know the hospital or or whatever lab service we're using. But I mean, the labs are very very reasonable. I mean, we and we charge basically at cost. So we're not you know we're not looking to make money on you know the lab fee. So if we if you know we have an X-ray or we have the same thing with some radiology centers and that kind of thing, um, but we basically just become like a purchaser of of those things and. And, you know, we charge near cost, but we translate it, you know, to make it real simple. So, for example, I mean, a cholesterol panel is $10. Uh, you know, a CMP is $10. $10. Wow. $10, yeah. I mean, like, our, for example, our wellness panel, um, and this is not standard, and I'm, I'm actually fairly conservative. I don't order lots of tests. But, um, like, our standard wellness, adult wellness panel includes a CMP, a CBC, hemoglobin A1C, lipid panel, and TSH, and it's $30. For all of that, yeah. So, and 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 like I said, we're not we're not really making a lot of money on those ancillary things, and that's not you know I'm not really in it because I'm not a lab company. Um, So we basically just negotiated really low rates with um with the lab, and then we just kind of pass along those savings to our patient. It's just kind of a you know value added benefit to them. Um, And and what's really funny is we've actually had we we have you know most of our patients actually are uninsured. and, but we do have some insured patients who have kind of a standard insurance, you know, uh, PPO model, and and so we've, you know, some people they, you know, I can order a lab and they can run it, you know, through their Blue Cross or whatever they want, um, and we've had that had that happen where I actually, you know, ordered a lab for that that same panel that I, I just mentioned for thirty dollars, and I told the patient, you know, well, you know, if you run it through us, I can tell you it'll be thirty dollars cash today, and you'll be done with it, you know, you know, you know what's cost. If you want to run your insurance. To pay for it, that's fine, but I can't tell you what it's going to cost. And so he's like, yeah, you know, I have my insurance. I might as well use it. You know, I'm like, okay, that's logical. So I give him the lab order, and they get the lab. And he calls me about a week later, and he's like, you're not going to believe, like, what my co-insurance for that lab was. And I'm like, okay, whatever. He's like, it was $37. So <laughs> in some crazy way, I mean, the co-insurance responsibility was more than our 100% cash price. Um, oh yeah, and, and and a lot of patients, you know, have this deductible that they have to meet, and yeah. uh, you know, sometimes that could be more than what you're charging there. But something I'm curious about is, you know, it, it is is negotiating with labs and and, and radiology centers. That, um, you know, if, if docs, you know, are you know need advice on that, what kind of advice would you give to to physicians <laughs> who want to negotiate that type of stuff? Just be a, a really annoying fly and just buzz, 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 buzz. I mean, it's. It, it depends. It depends on who you're talking to, um, because whenever whenever I've called people um, and, and kind of explained to them what I'm doing and, and what I want them to do, you know, and it, it's a very simple thing. I, w- I want you to give upfront prices and, and reasonable prices, um, but really, it's, it, the cornerstone of it is just transparency. Um, and yeah, but Ryan, no, nobody wants to do that. You, you had to be a, no, I know. Um, yeah, in, no, in, I, in a nice way, you had to be a shrewd businessman to try to get that. <laughs> yeah, no, it is. It, it's it's a very and what's really interesting about this is is my experience actually in residency in the safety net clinic um, actually kind of helped train me to do that. And I didn't really realize it at the time, but you know, most of our patients uh, at the safety net clinic um, were uninsured, and ninety um, percent probably. Um, and and so, so like you know, so for people who don't know that a safety net clinic is basically like a free clinic is that right yeah yeah I mean it, yeah it's like a community health center or a, you know a free clinic or whatever um, okay and so um, you know when when I worked with with those patients they were mostly uninsured and so I mean I had to know what stuff costs I mean you know when it's kind of this you know uh, strange world for most doctors to actually have to think about that um, 
but you know, I, I when I went down, you know, was working with those those patients, I you know, I couldn't just prescribe whatever cool brand name, you know, uh, high blood pressure med that the pharmacy rep had just told me about, because the patients would come back and say, Correct. "Well, that's great, doc, but it's one hundred and eighty dollars. I can't afford that." Or you know, I couldn't just order a bunch of labs because. I was just curious um, because I had to know how much they cost, and so you know I, I got exposed to that to that side of things and kind of you know learned like how much does a CT cost, how much does a chest X-ray really cost, how much does you know these supplies cost, and because we really had to be you know we had to be really cost conscious uh, in that setting, and so you know doing that and I, I kind of learned about you know just the general you know way that that people uh, price things. I mean it was a really good starting point, and then pretty early on I just you know, start making phone calls. And some people aren't receptive to it at all. I mean, some people just, you know, but but sometimes when you describe it to them, you know, how, how it works and what the benefit is for them, um, like I have with a lab company, I and mean, it's amazing because, I mean, it's, it's easy for them too. I mean, I, I, you know, they basically, I have an account with them and I, I pay them 100%, you know, up front. You know, there's no, you know, coding. There's no arguing. There's no denied claims. It's just, you know, it's it's straight cash at the end of the month for them. So, um but yeah, it's really, really hard. I mean, I've I've had a lot of trouble, you know, with with trying to find you know upfront prices with other doctors. I mean, quite frankly, the ancillary stuff, labs and radiology, the technical stuff, um, has been a lot easier to negotiate. Um, but you know, we've we've done a pretty good job at it. I mean, I'd like to expand those services because I think that that's going to be really necessary to make this kind of direct model work. Because you know, I can't buy a CT scan. I can't you know, buy all this, you know, fancy lab stuff. And we'd like to get more stuff as time goes along. But, you know, we really have to have kind of those basic ancillary services available to us. Um, you know, because if you just send people to the hospital, I mean, it's going to be, you know, an outrageous charge. Um, but, you know, it's it's been it's been a struggle for sure. And that's honestly become a big part of my job, you know, is, is trying to figure out, you know, okay, I, I can't perform this thing for this person. Where am I going to send them? So, you know, I spend a lot of time on the phone talking to, you know, places around the around my community uh this is the family medicine rocks podcast uh, my name is uh, mike savella and if you're just joining us where have you been no just kidding uh thank you for joining us my guest on the line here is uh, dr ryan newhoffel and uh uh his uh practice is called new care family medicine and uh, you can uh, check it out at newcare.net also uh, on uh, twitter uh, at Dr. New and also a, a Facebook uh, page as well and uh, kind of continuing our conversation on uh, direct uh, primary care and a couple of things I wanted to move on to next is that so so if, if one of your patients uh, goes to the hospital do you see them there do you not see them there how does that so work? I don't right now um, I am not doing my own hospital care I plan to in the future um, as my practice starts, I'm still, uh, you know, for monetary reasons, I'm still moonlighting in ERs and that kind of thing. So I'm, I'm away at night um, quite a bit. Um, so I, I can't really commit to being a hosp- my own hospitalist uh, at, at this point, my own inpatient care. But I've, I've talked to the hospital, and, you know, it's not going to be any trouble, and I even arranged backup. But I just haven't started it yet. Um, but I, I definitely have intentions and, and plans to do so. And, and probably what I'll do is I'll charge, you know, for, from a monetary standpoint, it's it, it doesn't, it doesn't work quite as well, um, but I'll charge my, you know, my, my service fee to come see them in the hospital. Um, but as far as, like, you know, their hospital charges, they'll still be, you know, for, like, an uninsured patient, um, they'll still be, you know, obviously the the bulk of the charge will be from the hospital and not me. Um, and I saw on your website here that you have a PharmD uh, in your office, too. Uh, can yeah, you my wife. About that? <laughs> That's her? Yeah, wow. my wife, yeah. 
man, it must be really uh, tough to uh, you know, compensate, you know, <laughs> really high pay probably. Yeah, yeah. Well, basically, what what we want, we want to do, um, you know, with her with her knowledge and her expertise is, um, you know, she she really likes the clinical you know aspect of pharmacy and and that, you know, they're, you know, it, it, people don't realize like how much you know clinical training um, pharmacists really get. You know, I mean, they they kind of get relegated to the basement of the hospital or you know in the retail setting, and you know they really don't have the the time or not afforded that the time to to really use all those skills they have about you know. Uh, helping people manage their medications and organize them and, uh, you know, simplify some of the routines and that kind of thing. Um, and especially in the outpatient setting, that doesn't exist. I mean, sometimes in, in a you know, good hospital setting, a good hospital pharmacist, hospital pharmacist would do that. But we wanted to kind of bring that kind of mindset to the to the outpatient setting. And so what she does is she's, um, you know, she's not in the, the clinic every day, um, but what she does is basically available by email and phone. Um, to our patients, and, and she doesn't even charge for, you know, remote counseling as part of the membership fee um, that people pay. So if someone has, like, a quick question about a medication, and it doesn't matter where they get it, I mean, they, they can fill it anywhere, um, and they can always call her, and she has access to their med list and that kind of thing. Um, and then if people, you know, have a, a really, you know, kind of complicated med list or if they're a new patient and not a lot of meds, um, you know, we'll set them up to see her in the clinic. So they'll bring in all their meds, and she'll sit down with them and do, like, a clinic visit like like I would do. Um but it's really just kind of a resource for patients, you know, if people have a question about, you know, some over-the-counter thing or, or one of the new meds. And, you know, if people are on a new med, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll forward her a note and say, hey, this person probably needs some more counseling on this or whatever. So it's a really nice – it's obviously nice that, uh, you know, we live in the same house. But uh, <laughs> I think the relationship would kind of work the same uh, without that as well. Uh, and what if your patients need, uh, you know, specialty or specialist type care? Do you have uh, relationships with the? Uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm trying. I, I'm really trying. Um, I've had a few, um, you know, doctors really express interest in that. And one of the things we're really trying to expand um, is that network. Um, and, and some people have been open to it, but it's really hard, you know. Um, when, when docs are kind of in their traditional clinic or their traditional model. Um, you know they're very very busy and 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 you know I'm I don't have a large volume of people yet um, and so it's it's been most of the time my my requests have fallen on deaf ears uh, but I've had some some great feedback and we've actually gotten a lot of um, kind of other you know non physician uh, health professionals like psychologists uh, nutritionists um, those kind of support staff that have been very open um, and in fact we're starting a um, uh, one of our back rooms we've actually con converted into um, a, a consult room. So pretty soon we're going to start having um, some of those people, like a psychologist, um, come in a couple days a week um, and have our patients, who we refer to them, um, actually come to our clinic and see those those type of people in our clinic. Um, kind of the whole medical home model, um, but it's going to be, you know, real. Um, and I think that's going to be a, a really great thing, um, not just for me to have the person close, but for our patients to make them feel comfortable um, you know, and come to the same setting and, and feel like it's a true medical home, um, even though it's a small home. <laughs> and, and, and I see on your website here it says the free equipment lease. Can you explain that? Yeah. So, so um, kind of the way that we we think about the the membership thing. People ask us about that. Well, I don't want to pay a membership, and 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 they don't understand why we do that. And, and kind of the way that I describe it, we kind of think of it like a like a co-op, you know, fee, um, especially with the with the medical equipment because. You know, I mean, a lot of people, you know, may need, like, and I, you, you probably deal with this every day, like, someone comes in and they have, you know, slightly elevated blood pressure, and it's like, well, okay, it's 
it's slightly elevated, but what's the average? And so, you know, you tell them, well, go buy a blood pressure cuff and check your, or, or go to the pharmacy or whatever. And, and, you know, so what we do is we basically have equipment like that. I mean, we have, you know, blood pressure machines. We have some glucometers, uh, you know, crutches, braces, uh, you know, any type of, you know, reusable medical equipment that, that a person may need for a week or two or three. Um, we just let people take it with them. Um, you know, we make them sign a little thing saying they promise to bring it back. Um, so that way, you know, we don't have to have someone who has maybe borderline high blood pressure that turns out not to be, you know, go buy a $50 blood pressure machine and, you know, never use it again. So we kind of think of it just like a co-op, you know, our patients, and, and we kind of manage the supplies for them. But, um, you know, we have a – we're, we're a, a gathering a, a whole thing thing of uh, – Massing a whole whole lot of um, you know medic, durable medical stuff in the back. <laughs> um, now I did want to ask you about this um, uh, this interest uh, or even passion of wilderness medicine. Yeah. Like, what, what, what is what is that about? Well, it's awesome. <laughs> now, <laughs> um, tell me about it. I, I know I know very little about it. I, yeah. I talked to but, some people who are really really passionate about it. What do you love about it? Well, I actually that it's one of those things where my kind of my personal interest and my professional um, are kind of intersecting. Um, I've always, uh, you know, kind of been an an outdoors type guy. My wife and I are are very active outdoors, you know, mountain biking and hiking and camping and and that kind of thing. So um, somewhere along in, in, um, you know, I think, I don't know if it was a med school or residency, but but I'd heard about this whole wilderness medicine. I mean, that sounds awesome. You know, anything that says wild in the beginning, I like. and so I kind of looked into it, and there's there's actually you know, a couple different organizations that um, you know really support this. There's, a, there's some journals, and they have conferences all over the the world and, and all over the country. Um, and I'm actually right now in, in the process of getting a fellowship, so you can go through. You know, it's kind of a continuity type fellowship that you do over several years, but you go to conferences and get credits and that kind of thing. So hopefully, in the next couple of years, I'll be able to you know attend some more of that stuff and um, you know get my fellowship in it. But it's just, it's a fun thing. I mean, I. I, I don't think I'm going to probably use it on a on a day-to-day basis, some of the skills that you learn. Um, but it's really just about, you know, learning how to provide, you know, medical care in a remote setting. I mean, so, you know, if I if I ever, uh, you know, go do, you know, some mission work in an area that doesn't have, uh, you know, a lot of equipment, you know, how do you handle that? I mean, it's, you know, where most of us are trained kind of in that academic model where you have, you know, loads of resources and people and you can bark out orders and, you know, people come and you're beck and call and, and do all this magical stuff. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, whether it's, you know, out, you know, hiking or camping or, you know, you're in a country that doesn't have something like that, it kind of teaches you, uh, you know, how to manage problems without all of those resources. Did you have any of those type of experiences in, in medical school or residency, uh, missionary uh, work, or international no, medicine? No, I, I haven't done any. I haven't done any like um, you know any overseas stuff where I would consider it like quite wild. <laughs> I mean, sometimes my clinic gets pretty wild here, and the, <laughs> and the safety net clinic I worked at would sometimes that would almost be you know the wilderness level wilderness in the middle of an urban you know, urban jungle medicine, I guess. Um, but no, I mean I, I haven't done any you know gone to like Africa or anything like that. But I know a lot of the people who. Um, you know, who do, you know, mission work and stuff like that, um, uh, who I've met through the wilderness medicine um, organizations have, have really used some of those resources um, and some of those skills. Um, like when I did, when I kind of first got into it, I did this week-long um, uh, something called a, um, uh, it's called a woofer wilderness first aid, uh, first responder um, certification. So I went in the mountains of North Carolina um, in western North Carolina and, and slept in the mountains for a whole week. Um, and we did wow. that. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. And so they, you know, all day they would they would train us about how to. Okay, someone someone has a femur fracture, 
you know, out in the middle of nowhere and you've got a sleeping bag and some hiking poles, like how do you manage that? You know, so they would teach you, but here's how you build a traction splint to hold their, you know, to hold their leg in place. Um, wow. And so it's, it's really kind of, it was just, it was really fun. And then they would run like in the middle of the night, we would do like a, you know, a rescue scenario where, you know, they would give us walkie talkies and they would, you know, all right, well, there's this person lost and we think they're hypothermic. And, you know, so we'd have like a team of three people and we'd have to go find them literally in the middle of the mountains, you know, so we'd be out there for like three hours and, you know, they'd have like an actor out there and you'd have to go like, you know, kind of stabilize them and all that kind of stuff. So it's, uh, it was really fun. I, I, I wish I could, you know, this, whole venture here has taken away a lot of my time but you know it's 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 really cool and there's different areas too i mean there's people who do like kind of dive medicine so if you're into you know scuba diving there's a whole you know group within wilderness medicine that really focuses on like you know dive and tropical type uh issues um and there's people who do more high altitude stuff which is probably more my arena um more, more my interest would be the high altitude mountain medicine um so it's kind of all these little niche areas within you know within wilderness medicine that you can you can kind of maybe even specialize within wilderness medicine. Um, I guess on the line is uh, wilderness medicine doc, uh, Ryan Newhoffel, <laughs> <Hi>. <laughs> uh, from NewCare uh, Family Medicine. Uh, go to newcare.net, also facebook.com slash uh, new care. Uh, so let's kind of shift again a little bit. And, uh, you know, I, I love talking about digital, uh, digital communication, digital medicine. Uh, let's first talk about kind of the clinical part of your practice. So, so you do, um, email and texting and what kind of digital communication do you have with your patients? Yeah. So, I mean, when I designed my kind of my, my communications you know, platform, if you will, um, I mean, that to me is really the key of, of, of everything to providing, you know, good primary care. I mean, communications, uh, you know, I think they're really, really undervalued. So when we kind of designed it, I, I, I you know, that was kind of the focus of, of our practice. So we wanted to really be able to communicate really well with people um, and communicate with them in a way that, you know, that they communicate with their friends and family. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, we, we basically give access uh, to us, you know, by any means you can imagine. Um, you know, we do email, you know, um, we do, um, you know, standard email, and then we have like a, we have a web portal thing that, I, that I've kind of built, um, like a messaging platform where people can send us messages. Um, you know, of course, I'm on Facebook and Twitter like everyone else. Um, and then, um, yeah, we, people can, we're still working on the text message thing, but um, yeah, we, so we basically just try to give people access to us, um, you know, and make it really easy for them. Uh, and and as docs uh, always ask me, they probably ask you too. So so, what do you do with those electronic communications? Do you put them in a uh, clinical chart, a patient chart somewhere, or how do you? Yeah, do that? we don't. I don't copy like the whole message over. I mean, I kind of treat it like I would like I was talking on the phone. So um, you know, if if someone calls me and they say you know give me an update in their blood pressure or you know reporting some symptom, you know I'll, I'll open the you know we have a web based EMR and uh, you know so I'll put like a little note in there. We kind of do the same thing with the with email, um, and it's it's really not ideal, you know. I mean, I think there's a lot of things that could be improved upon, but as far as you know, cost effectiveness and and ease of use for the patients, it's it's been you know the best thing that we found so far. But I, I don't like you know if someone sends me an email, I don't copy the whole email over into the into the chart because sometimes they're they're a little bit wordy. Um, but I'll kind of just kind of summarize the email and put you know you know a note in the patient's chart, email message, and then I'll kind of say you know one or two words you know, about what what they were. The, the big gist of what they were saying. Uh, and you said you have a web-based EMR. Who do you use? Uh, Practice Fusion right now. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, how did yeah, you, I, I, how, I, how'd you find them? Um, yeah, man, I don't, 
I don't know. I mean, I don't know how I, I I stumbled upon them originally. I mean, the fact that they're they're free is pretty awesome. Um, and so me, you know, as I was starting out, um, you know, I, I mean, I really, had, I mean, I wanted to make this as lean uh, and as low overhead model as I could, and that's kind of maybe what separates me from some of the other the direct model doctors. Is I mean, I I really wanted to. Um, you know, I, of course, want to make a good living and all that stuff, but, you know, I wanted to make this as accessible and as affordable as I could. And, and you know, in order to do that, in order to charge, you know, 10 or $20 um, and, and for, for most of what I do, you know, we really had to, to focus on, on value. And so, you know, we, you know, most of the systems out there that are not just electronic systems, but, but everything that's related to healthcare. I mean, it's just such an inflated price um, and all that stuff. So a lot of stuff that we, we use, you know, in, in, in the real world, in the digital world, you know, I, I've used stuff that's kind of not necessarily designed for healthcare, but it tends to be a lot better value if you can kind of, you know, customize it to, to your liking. And I think that's that's kind of, you know, kind of our motto is that we, you know, we try to do things not, not just cheap, but, we you know, we look for value. And so, you know, when I look at kind of the traditional, you know, EMRs and that kind of stuff, I mean, most of the time it's just amazing the amount of money um, that people spend on them and the, the amount of functionality that they give. It's just kind of blows my mind every time I hear the numbers. Um, and a lot of people ask me, and they probably ask you too, um, as far as, you know, how do you use social media? How do you use um, your Facebook page or your Twitter stream? How do you use that to supplement your practice or to market your practice? How do you do that? Yeah, and that's that's been a, you know, we've, we haven't been open a year yet. And, and that kind of, and I, I've talked to you on, on Facebook about that, that, that has been kind of an ever-evolving thing um, to try to figure out, you know, what what avenues are, are, are the best to reach people um, and, and, and what, and not only to reach people, but in, 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 in what, what type of um, way to, to, and what type of issues are best to discuss. And, you know, my, my initial thought was, you know, and, and here in the Midwest, um, you know, Facebook is a lot more popular than Twitter, especially with, you know, regular, you know, regular folks, if you will. Um, That's so true, I, I yeah. Think, I, I've yeah. seen that too. That's correct. Yeah, I mean, I, I I don't know. That may be like a regional thing. Um, but, you know, I mean, most of my friends and family and stuff are on Facebook, and the vast majority of them aren't on Twitter. So I, I started off on Facebook, um, and I originally was kind of hoping it would just be, you know, this really great way to, you know, to share information with people, um, you know, to, to proactively educate people, um, you know, to comment on news stories and that kind of thing. And, and, and it, it, it does an okay job with that, and, and but Facebook has some big drawbacks too because, um, you know, as, as a fan page, not very many people, at least recent, actually see what I post. So we're still trying to kind of, you know, rethink that whole strategy with Facebook. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just it's a way to really, you know, um, communicate with people um, in, in a group setting. Uh, and so much of what we do is just, you know, repeat, repeat the same thing over and over. Or if there's some news story, you know, like, you know, whatever, you know, monkey flu or swine flu or whatever is going to be, you know, killing the whole world this year, um, you know, we, whenever the news story comes out, people, we, you know, get a lot of phone calls about, like, oh, should I worry about this or, you know, so I, I kind of just try to be proactive and, and maybe respond to some of those uh, stories that are out there or, you know, remind people about, you know, getting the flu shot or, or that kind of thing. But it's, you know, it's, it's nice because people are actually on Facebook. Um, so, you know, I can send flyers in the mail, but, you know, they, they probably won't open them. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Uh, and I see that, that you, you have a, a Tumblr blog uh, using Azure blog. 
Um, yeah. and, and you've been uh, um, shot just maybe just a couple or two or three uh, uh, YouTube videos. Um, yeah, yeah. We start doing them. Um, so one of the things I, I, I realized, and I guess I realized this before I started this practice, that you know, I, there, there's not a lot of really good you know health education stuff out there. I mean, um, it's awful. It's horrible. Yeah, I, I was trying to be nice, but yeah, it sucks. Um, <laughs> it yeah. sucks. Yeah, I've said it on this show before. It sucks. Yeah, it does, and and you know, and, and I think there's kind of two categories of it uh, sucking, um, and and one category is, you know, I mean, like you go to like a site like WebMD or you know even the right. Mayo Clinic, and they have a lot of information, and it's it's generally good information. I mean, it's 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 you know relatively scientific and you know and and good solid information, but it's just so dang boring. I mean, you know, right. it's just like these lists of random things, and I mean, going to WebMD and reading about, you know, some chronic condition, like, I mean, I get lost and bored within the first two seconds, so I can't imagine, you know, a patient, you know, unless you're you know, just an avid reader. Um, so, I mean, that's kind of the big problem with me is that, you know, I, I I can't find a lot of great educational material that's really interactive and really engages people to share. So what we really decided to do is just make our own. Um, and so, you know, video, I think, is a great way, you know, uh, for better or for worse, that's what that's what kind of engages people. So we kind of shot some some videos here in my clinic, and then we've you know my sister-in-law's uh, photographer. So I kind of shot like a really quality video with her, um, you know, on a on a topic. So yeah, we're that that area is is kind of one of those areas I have in the back burner that I have some pretty big plans for, and I'm I'm hoping to actually kind of totally revamp the way that I share that information because right now I have a blog and I, and I, I've made the videos and I put them out on Facebook and I put it out on Twitter and I, you know, I put them on my Tumblr blog, but it, you know, it's not a very well organized system. You know, it's kind of just these random bits of information. Um, so the videos themselves, I think are, have, have gotten a great response and I've, I've patients have given me a great response on them. Um, but I'm hoping to kind of, you know, make a better platform for sharing that information. So that's kind of one of the big projects we're going to be working on in the next you know, few months. Well, I, I've heard in some of your interviews before where you were talking, uh, and one of the videos is about hemoglobin A1C, and, and uh, you share in this interview that you started talking about it, and the patient said, up, 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 uh, I, I got it, <laughs> I watched the video, uh, yeah. you know, I'm good. Yeah, and that's, and that's the thing is, um, you know, uh, I that A1C video, uh, Dave Chase, who's you know very active in the you know, direct primary care. Um, you probably heard his name before. I think Dr. Oh, Bob yeah. actually mentioned. Big, yeah, yeah. So, so he he yeah. kind of watched our hemoglobin A1C video and and you know spread it on on a couple of different places, and that was that was great. But yeah, I mean the whole idea is is that you know we really do hit the replay button so many times. You know, I mean I'm, if you know if I had a nickel for every time I explained how the flu vaccine doesn't actually give you the flu. You know, I mean, right, I, I probably could retire by that's now. Right. Um, that's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and there's so many questions that we get that are the same over and over. And it's fine. I, I, I love answering people's questions. But if I could do it in a manner that's, you know, more comfortable for the patient, you know, that's a little bit more engaging and fun and, you know, we can kind of use some nice graphic and nice design, um, you know, to educate people. I mean, it, it's so much more effective um, and so much more efficient than, you know, one person after another coming in asking the same question. Um Oh yeah, I mean, I, I totally, uh, totally agree with you. I mean, it's uh, you know, we talked before we came on the air about our you know million projects that we have ideas for, and uh, this is this is one of them. Uh, you know, you, you and I should get together with some other grassroots primary care docs and family docs and have some kind of you know family medicine grassroots education network yeah. or something like that. How we can all kind of work together uh, to get some of this 
get some, you know, really quality, funny, entertaining, yet informational videos out there. Because like you said, a lot of this, and I agree with you, they suck, they're horrible, um, they're too polished, uh, they need like, you know, they need jazzed up a little bit. And, yeah. and, uh, and I know what we can do it, we just need the time to do it. Yeah, and a lot of it, it, a lot of it's finding the time. But I, I think one of the great things about you know what I'm doing with the direct you know model is is it really just you know took the chains off and and so whatever you know whatever is is you know of interest to me or of interest to my patients I, I can just do it you know I mean I I, I intentionally am, am not going to have too many patients so I will have the time to do these things and not just because I think they're fun but because I, I think that they actually improve people's health. Um, and and I someone like you who's in a, a traditional practice, I mean the fact that you are able to do all this stuff is is amazing. I mean it, it truly is amazing. Um, you must have more energy than the regular you know uh, uh, doc because most people are just overwhelmed with you know with the day to day activities and you know doing charts at night and all that stuff. But you know with with this direct model, it's like I I'm truly putting an emphasis on this because I think it it actually does improve people's health. Um, and you know it, and it's fun to meet and I I kind of when I gave a talk in Kansas City um, about kind of, you know, doctors and social media. I mean, it's fun to meet people around the country and, and meet people like you, but, you know, at the end of the day, if, if we're really going to use it to, you know, improve people's health um, and, and improve people's, um, you know, health outcomes, I mean, it, it needs to, you know, I need to connect with the person down the street from me, you know, right. um, and I, right. I needed to connect to my neighbors. and right. um, And I think that's kind of what's missing. It's like, you know, there's kind of these two separate worlds where, you know, there's, you know, the kind of these insiders who are really interested in all this stuff. And, you know, we talk on Twitter and we talk on Facebook. Um, but, you know, the vast majority of my patients who walk in here, um, they have no idea about that world. Um, and so trying to reach, you know, so-called real people, no offense to all the, the insiders, but like, you know, regular people is, is a really big challenge. And I think that's where, um, you know, social media really needs to go um, is, is trying to reach out to our actual patients and not just, you know, the blogosphere or the Twittersphere or whatever other sphere is going to be existing um, in the future. And I, I think that that's really what I, you know, that's what I'm really striving to do is is to use this as a tool to actually, you know, not just, you know, market myself and all that stuff, but to improve the care of the people who are going to be sitting across the desk from me. And that's, you know, that's that's really what my my big goal in doing all of it is. Yeah, I mean, I, and, and I think you're, and it's great. I mean, you're, you're very centered about that. I mean, that, that, that's what all this clinical innovation is about. Is that you know, can we, and, and we can, you know, take care of patients better um, outside of this traditional behemoth model of of, of medical care, which is broken. Uh, and uh, that, that, that's why uh, you know, that's uh, I'm very inspired by by talking with you in, in your model here, and not your model, but the model of direct primary care and, and the cool stuff that is. Out there, and people should not be afraid of it. People, people should not be, you know, well, what is that type of care? I mean, it's not what I'm used to, but it's, you know, it's going to be ended up, you know, being better. And, and there, there's a lot of, you know, really good, you know, studies out there. Um, we do have the numbers behind it. It's just getting, you know, more people to to know about it and, and to teach them about it, um, and, and for them to learn that, you know, it is a little bit, you know, it, it is better care. And, and and we have the numbers to back it up, and we have the better satisfaction from a patient and provider and a physician standpoint for that. And um, it's it's really great work that you're doing. Well, thank you, thank you. I, I think so. I mean, I I I you know, with my background in public health, I I mean, I, there are there's some data out there, but I would 
I would love it. And, you know, we're collecting, you know, small amounts of, you know, data on our, our patients as far as demographics and what type of patients are, are actually using this type of service. Because there's just, there's so many misperceptions um, about about the direct model. And, and, you know, people tend to kind of lump all of, any if, you know, if you go outside the box, you kind of get, you know, lumped in all all together. Um, right, and exactly. It's really, it's really kind of funny, the reactions uh, and the responses that I get, you know, when I meet somebody out in the public or, you know, some event, and I, I kind of describe to them, very similar to what I described to you, um, I kind of have my speech down at this point, um, <laughs> yeah, I've, I've given it a time or two, uh, right. when I describe what I do, um, you know, without labels and all that stuff, can I just describe what I do very directly, people's responses are, are so varied. I mean, literally within the same, you know, hour I'll be meeting people and telling them what I'm doing, and one person will say, oh, it's it's like a safety net, like a free clinic. And I say, well, yeah, right. you know, ki- kind Not of, really. yeah, low cost. I have a lot of uninsured patients, yes, but it's, you know, I'm, it's totally self-funded. It's a private clinic. You know, I'm, you know, I'm making a profit. It's not, you know, it's, it's, and, and, and then, you know, the next person I describe it to, literally using the exact same words, will say like, oh, you're like, you know, the, the Royal Pains doctor. You're like a country club concierge doctor. Right. It's, it's, it's just so fascinating, like people's response to it. And I think, I think it's just because people want to kind of pigeonhole people, you know, it's, it, people want to immediately assign labels and, and label something good or bad. Um, and I, I think, I mean, that's one of the problems in healthcare is that, you know, people, people always just want to figure out, you know, is, is something good or bad. And, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if what I'm doing is the absolute best model, but I mean, anyone out, anyone who's out there who's, who's kind of trying something different, I mean, you can't get better unless you do different. And that's the first stage is, you know, you, you have to try something different. And, you know, I mean, I God bless all the people who are, you know, you know, advocating, you know, through through <laughs> through the various family medicine organizations for, you know, reform and all that stuff. But I, you know, I reached a point pretty early on that I I just wasn't, you know, terribly hopeful um, that that, you know, the system can be, you know, tweaked to, to become better. And I quite frankly, wasn't going to wait around on it for, you know, things to get better. And, you know, I wasn't going to, you know, sit on the edge of my seat every time some deadline was looming or, you know, you know, I, I, you know, every new round of acronyms, you know, I, you know, read a little bit of history and, you know, it's like, yeah, great. We have another, you know, another, another three letter acronym to, to kind of fix things. And, you know, to me, it was like, why don't we just do it? You know, why don't we just go out and, and, and do it? Um, and, there's, you know, a, there, there's a lot of people out there that are just, you know, Cheering and, and uh, you know get their hands up in the air and they're just they're so excited just for, from from hearing you say that uh, that it's just inspiring. I, I, before we go, I, I did want to ask you about the the, the partnership with Patient Summit uh, that yeah. that you spoke at and can you tell a little bit about how, you know how did you get hooked up with those people and, and yeah uh, how, yeah um, I actually um, got introduced to Regina Holiday, which if any of you don't know who she is, awesome. you should know. Um, because she's awesome, and Regina started an organization called Partnership with Patients, uh, and she kind of reached out to me. Um, she actually, strangely enough, used to live in Lawrence, the town that I'm at now, where University of Kansas is oh. at. Yeah, her husband, um, and if you can read about her background story and why it's all important, but um, her husband actually, I, I believe, was like a student at KU here in Lawrence um, when, when they were younger, and so she somehow, some way, ended up getting connected with me uh, through Twitter, and so I started kind of telling her about what I was doing, and she was telling me about her organization. And, you know, it really kind of her, the overall, you know, theme of, of her organization is a, a partnership with, and she always puts a big emphasis on with patients. And 
I mean, I, I had never actually heard that phrase, but as soon as I heard the phrase and, and the name of our organization, I was like, that's exactly what I want to do. You know, I mean, that's, I truly want to have a partnership with my patients. Um, and so, you know, we kind of started talking and, and she became interested in what I was doing and then, you know, strangely invited me to speak, at, you know, about doctors and social media, which, you know, I, it was, was kind of an interesting experience for me because I, um, you know, I, it's kind of just something I do. I, I didn't, you know, really think about why I'm doing it. And you know, <laughs> I didn't do a lit review before I signed up for my Twitter account to figure out, like, you know, to me it just seems so, uh, you know, so so logical to do it, you know, to communicate right. with people. So uh, she, entered, you know, uh, invited me to speak at, at the, I guess, the first ever national uh, summit for that organization about, you know, doctors and social media. So I did my best. <laughs> and, and what kind of people did you meet out there? I mean, I mean, it wasn't doctors. I mean, it was no. Actually, you know, there, was, there patient, wasn't that many doctors. Was, it, it's more, it's yeah. a more of a patient and uh, you know, uh, more more patient advocates. There's a lot of people who've you know maybe maybe had bad you know experiences in healthcare. Um, some of them like disease specific, but more generally just system uh, oriented uh, uh, concerns and and people who you know either either had a, a you know a bad experience with you know a lot of it's about like. Um, uh, you know, access to their medical records, which is a huge, huge deal. And I, I learned a lot um, about, you know, patients' experience going through the medical system. And I think as doctors, you know, we, you know, mo- some of us, you know, are, are ill, but most doctors never go to the doctor, um, you know, whether we, you know, probably not as much as we should. But, you know, I, I think we've, we haven't been on the other side of the table, most of us. Um, and so, you know, just hearing that feedback from, from patients, um you know, and sometimes it's hard. It's sometimes it's hard to hear that as, as a doctor because we 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 sometimes you know become kind of defensive about our profession and about our system. And so you know, whenever we hear people being critical or you know making demands or or making suggestions about how to change you know healthcare or or what is you know something that a patient would really uh, benefit from, you know, I think sometimes we think you know, well, you're not a doctor, you're not a you're not in the system, so you don't understand how it works and. And, and to me, it, it is hard to kind of listen to that feedback, but, but really if we want to create a, a truly patient-centered, you know, medical home, as, as, as the term is, like that's where it starts. I mean, you, you have to listen to, to the patients who are actually using it and, and, and design it, you know, for them because, you know, it's, it's not my health. It's not, you know, it's not my medical record. It's, it's theirs. Um, and so the organization is just it, it was really fabulous to meet people who, who are so passionate about those kind of issues um, about you know, kind of owning their own their own health and and advocating for themselves, um, you know, as a, as a as a consumer of healthcare. Um, I guess on the line is uh, Dr. Ryan uh, Newhoffel, uh from uh, New Care Family Medicine. His website says "Old Fashioned Medicine for the 21st Century," uh, and uh, I know you have to go pretty soon. I, I, I'm going to ask you for your uh, closing thoughts in just a, a little bit. I, I just want to uh, direct people to uh, your website at uh, New Care. Uh, dot net and uh, check out their uh, Facebook page at uh, facebook.com slash new care and also check them out on Twitter uh, new care n-e-u-c-a-r-e and uh, just in our closing moments here uh, Brian uh, you know I, I just want to ask you for you know, just some closing thoughts for our audience whether it be for direct primary care or the family medicine uh, uh, what closing thoughts do you have uh, to close up the uh, show here this evening Brian yeah I you know, I thanks thanks Mike so much for having me on. I I look for any 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 megaphone, and you have a pretty big one uh, to talk into. So thank you so much for having me on. Um, you know, I I think one of the things that that is really exciting um, to me 
um, about family medicine is, you know, our ability to kind of control the future. Um, and I, I know so many people who are in healthcare um, who feel kind of just hopeless, like, you know, the system sucks, it, it's, it's not going to change, um, and, and we can't really do anything about it, and, you know, they're, you know, hoping to retire early or whatever. And, I, you know, I really, really think that, you know, family medicine, primary care is, is in a really unique position. Um, you know, if, if you're a cardiothoracic surgeon, it's a little bit harder to kind of, you know, kind of reform the system um, from within. You kind of have to, you know, play by the rules. But I, I, I think that, you know, family medicine docs are, are in a really unique position going forward. So, you know, I, I would encourage anyone who's you know, interested in family medicine or doing family medicine to kind of realize that fact that, you know, you don't kind of have to accept the status quo. Um, and, you know, if you're, you know, not happy with, with, you know, the way things are going, to go out and do something about it um, instead of just hoping and praying. <laughs> and and if you, you know, if you truly are passionate about it, don't let, you know, don't let the system kind of bring you down because, um you know, we, I think we truly have the power to change things, and it's just it's a matter of people, you know, taking a risk and taking chances um, and putting themselves out there to do it. Uh, Brian, I, I think you, you've got a lot more fans out there this evening, very inspiring words and, and what you're doing out there, and uh, I, uh, we should definitely collaborate on some future projects because I love uh, working working with people who like to shake it up and uh, who doesn't care what anybody else says. Uh so thank you so much for the time on the show. We should definitely – I'll bring you back, and you can talk about whatever you want to talk about because we have to keep this message going out there. And, uh, All right. You know, have, have a great night, and it was yeah. great talking with you this evening. All right, great. Thanks so, thanks so much, Mike. All right, thanks. Thanks. All right, kids. Uh, so how about that? How about that? You know, that is just uh, really, really cool, very exciting. Uh, Dr. Brian Newhoffel, uh, thank you for so, so much for coming on the show. Go to uh, newcare.net, N-E-U-C-A-R-E.net, also on Facebook, facebook.com slash newcare, and uh, also on Twitter at Dr. New. Uh, so coming up right after this break here, I'm going to be talking about some co- cool conversations, other cool conversations that I had earlier uh, today, one with next week's podcast guest and also I'll share a little bit a little bit of a conversation I had with the great and cool people of primary care progress you're listening to the family medicine rocks podcast here on a Thursday night here on the blog talk radio network and uh, we'll see how much longer I can talk here before I collapse so (laughs) we will be right back This is the show that is the unstoppable 
force of family medicine. This is the Family Medicine Rocks podcast. My name is Mike Savilla. So uh, earlier this uh, earlier earlier this evening, earlier today, uh, I want to give a big plug out uh, to our show coming up next week, and um, I had to get my notes here from earlier uh, earlier today, and and my guest coming up uh, next week. Uh, will be a family doc um, out in the great state of Indiana. Uh, Dr. Deanna Willis will be coming on the show uh, next week. Uh, we recorded the interview earlier today. And uh, she's a family doc who um, wrote a book because I told her to write a book. <laughs> and we'll be talking about that uh, next week. And uh, it's very cool, uh, very cool what she's doing in that, uh, you know, she she wrote a book uh, and the proceeds of this book uh, are going to be going to her work uh, with an orphanage in China. And uh, she's going to share a lot of that story uh, coming up on the next episode uh, next week here. And she's hoping, she's hoping to bring some medical students with her in the summer of 2013 to China to do work um, out there um, and to especially work with special needs uh, kids, and uh, I want you all to go to uh, uh, Amazon right now and uh, check out her book. And uh, the the title of the book is uh, Mr. Darcy's Mistake: A Variation on Pride and Prejudice. And uh, yes, she's a she's a Jane Austen fan. And um, I don't want to give away the whole interview next week. Uh, but uh, but go there. It's a Kindle book, and uh, download it, uh, read it. It, it, it. it goes to a good cause. Leave a comment over there, and we're going to be talking a lot more about it on episode 284, which will be uh, on uh, next week's uh, show. Uh, and also earlier today, uh, just a few hours ago, and I was hoping to uh, get the audio to play a little bit of that on the show here tonight, but... Uh, uh, was didn't have enough time to do it, but uh, had a great conversation uh, with the uh, with our pals at uh, Primary Care Progress. Um, go to primarycareprogress.org, and uh, they uh, brought you the the very cool Voices of Primary Care campaign. And for those of you in, in family medicine and in primary care circles, you kind of know what that that was about. That was during a National Primary Care Week. And uh, that's when people took uh, very creative photos with a sign saying primary care is and uh, gave, gave people an opportunity to show their pride in family medicine. And uh, if you want to see more about that, go to primarycareprogress.org. Uh, and uh, they have a lot of great people uh, working over there, uh, working hard and uh, talking all around the country about uh, family medicine and primary care. Uh, and why primary care is important for this country, uh, how to mobilize people to share the story of primary care, how to share their own story, uh, how how especially residents and students can share their own story on why uh, they like taking care of patients. Um, and, and when people tell their own story about why they love medicine, why they love taking care of patients. Uh, you can see, you know, a lot of the, you know, ideas and origins and themes 
that just come back to, to primary care, that just come back to family medicine. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, there, there are a lot of other people who are doing great stuff out there. You know, our friends at the uh, Pennsylvania Academy of uh, Family Physicians, uh, they're having this, these, uh, these very cool and entertaining um, and informational kind of graphics that they've made up. Uh, the one today says primary care, the frontline defense for your health. You know, it's, 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 it's funny, it's informational, it's witty, um, and it's that type of stuff that I think is, uh, is very cool. They, they, they had another graphic that uh, they made up, and uh, it says, uh, the future of primary care is in our hands, and it is a very bright future. And uh, you can follow them on Twitter at P-A-F-P and F, spell out and, P-A-F-P-A-N-D, um, F, and uh, um, also uh, check them out uh, on their Facebook page as well. And uh, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of a lot of people and organizations out there that are doing very cool things when it comes to primary care, when it comes to family medicine. You know, and, and it's all about you know when I talk to people about you know social media, it, it is it's all about telling a story. It is telling your story. You know, you know what is your story? What what can you share? with the world and and what other people can you join up with to tell that story and you know that's what I've been trying to do with this show that's what I've been trying to do with my website and blog for the past what is it now 6 years now all coming up on 7 years and uh it's great seeing a lot of other people um you know doing that now you know and and and, and sharing their story about you know why they believe what they believe and 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 what uh, what they're passionate about because you know and I've said it on this show before you know I really enjoy people when they talk about what they're really excited about what they're really passionate about you know I may not you know think you know that's very interesting but hearing people tell their story whatever that is that is the power of social media you know, and you saw that on on this show tonight with Ryan. You know, he's, you know, he, he's like, you know, medicine can be done a better way. <laughs> and I didn't want to wait for organizational medicine to get it right because I'd be waiting a long time. So I did it my way, and I did a little bit of research about it. And you know, I was a bug in the ear to all these people negotiating for you know, lab tests and x-rays and things. And, you know, I just, you know, I felt passionate and I wanted to get it done for my patients. And, and that that's the type of person that we need out there, you know, to, to change the status quo. The status quo is a very powerful thing out there, kids. And, and, and you know, uh, those of you who have tried to buck the system, you know that it is tough to try to change anything out there and forget about trying to change this big, huge behemoth healthcare system that is broken. Um, and you're seeing a lot more people out there innovating, clinical innovation, um, trying to change, you know, how we deliver healthcare in this country. Uh, and, and it's an inspiring thing. Uh, for people like me to see, and, and uh, I'm just happy and I'm just glad uh, to um, help those people and help those organizations share their story. 
Um, because yeah, you know, I have a, I, I, I have a pretty big megaphone. It's taken me a long time, you know, to do that. And I have, it, I have everybody out there, meaning you, I have you to thank for that, for, for following me on Twitter and, and, and for, uh, you know, liking the Facebook page for this show and for, for, um, you know, going to my website and blog and, and, you know, reading what I'm about and, and what I like talking about. And, you know, I couldn't have done any of this out there with all of you, um, listeners and readers uh so so thank you so much for 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 giving me this opportunity to share other people's stories because that's what we're going to need uh to try to change things to to try to let people know about creative types of models of medicine out there uh, so how we can take care of patients a lot better that's it, kids. I uh, I have run out of air. <laughs> I have run out of things uh, to, to talk about uh, then, and uh, um, yeah, I just uh, uh, that's just kind of a little epilogue to uh, to, uh, to tonight's show, and uh, just felt inspired to uh, to go off there a little bit and to and to talk about it. So. Um, I want to thank again my guest on tonight's show, Dr. Ryan Newhoffel from New Care Family Medicine, old-fashioned medicine for the 21st century. <laughs> Go to newcare.net, also facebook.com slash newcare, also Dr. New on uh, Twitter. Uh, so I uh, definitely have to bring him back on the show, kind of see uh, how he is doing. Uh, next week's show, show uh, episode number 284, will feature an interview uh, with my good friend, uh, Dr. Deanna Willis, and uh, she'll be talking about her book. She'll be talking about family medicine, uh, and she'll be talking about her work um, with children in orphanages in China and her goal, which I think that she will achieve, of bringing medical students uh, out to China to uh, do an elective, to do work out there in the summer of 2013. Uh, check out her book um, on Amazon. So and that's all I have for you here uh, this evening. My name is Mike Sevilla. Check out my digital library of stuff at familymedicinerocks.com, also facebook.com slash rocks on Twitter, Dr. Mike Sevilla. But you can get all access to all of my digital stuff at uh, familymedicinerocks.com. Uh, have a good week. Have a good weekend. Hey, for those of you who have hung out this long, I'm going to Columbus this weekend to cause more trouble. So uh, look out, Columbus, uh, this weekend. Have a great week. Have a great weekend, everybody, and uh, we'll talk very soon. Good night, everybody.
I'm not.